Um, good to see you all. We're going to continue in our series through the book of Hebrews this morning, um, specifically looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 39. Um, the overall uh, title for this series has been Jesus is Better, and uh, we'll certainly continue to talk about that. But let's pray as we get started. God, thank you for um, the opportunity to be together already this morning to uh, worship together, to pray together, to be together, God, to meet with you in this place. And over the next few minutes as we hear from your word, um, I pray that you would use me as an instrument of the gospel. God, I recognize that my words are of little importance, and so I pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds that your words would be apparent to us. You would draw us near to yourself because of Jesus. God, we ask all this in the name of your Son, our Savior. Amen. I think we probably all understand the concept of separation more than we ever talk about. Just a couple of miles up the road from us is one of the most iconic golf courses in the world. But there's no way that any of us are getting out onto that golf course this afternoon unless we are connected to someone there, unless someone there has made a way for us to go play a round of golf. In fact, if we were to drive up Washington Road right now, we wouldn't even be able to see that course because of the trees and the shrubbery and the fencing that are in the way. Trees and shrubbery and fencing that are actually meant to keep us separated. And even though some of us probably live really close or right next door to those hallowed, hallowed golf grounds, we are without a doubt separated from that place. That's just one example from our own town, but I think we all can relate to that idea of separation in one way or another. Some of my favorite places in the world are the uh, mountains of western North Carolina and the low country beaches of South Carolina. And even though those places are sort of geographically near, I'm still separated from those places by time and distance, right? The only way that I can get to one of those places is by setting aside the time to actually travel and to overcome that distance, right? But we also know that separation just isn't about time and place and distance. Many of us are separated relationally from people that we are connected to in one way or another. Uh, just personally, an example from my own life, I have a half-sister who lives about three hours away from Augusta, three hours drive away from Augusta. But the reality of our relationship is that I've never had a conversation with that person. We're connected on social media, but we've actually never talked. If you know my life story, you know that both of my biological parents passed away when I was young. And so I've been separated from my parents for most of my life because of the reality that death exists. That's what separates me from my parents. And I'm sure many of us can point to similar situations in our own lives. Situations where we have strained relationships, maybe with family members with people that we love, or situations where we are completely disconnected from family members or people that we once had a relationship with. Many of us, like myself, have family members or friends or spouses 
or someone else close that are no longer with us because of the curse of death. And all that to say, we probably all understand the concept of separation maybe more than we realize and talk about. If we're honest with ourselves, many of us probably feel pretty separated from God quite often. Back when we were moving through the series on the Lord's Prayer just a little while ago, um, I read these lyrics from a Rich Mullen song, Rich Mullen song called Hard to Get. I'm going to read them again. But this is what he says. What I really need to know is if you who live in eternity hear the prayers of those of us who live in time. We can't see what's ahead. We cannot get free from what we've left behind. I'm reeling from these voices that keep screaming in my ears. All these words of shame and doubt, blame and regret. I can't see how you're leading me unless you've led me here to where I'm lost enough to let myself be led. So you've been here all along, I guess. It's just your ways and you are just plain hard to get. This song, Rich is working through this all too familiar that feeling that God is out there somewhere, somewhere in eternity, somewhere separated from us and our prayers and our struggles and our daily life, playing hard to get. I'm sure that resonates with us on some level. But this song closes with the realization that God is near and present, even though God and his nearness are sometimes difficult for us to wrap our heads, our minds around, difficult for us to grasp. Key to understanding Hebrews chapter 10, though, that we're about to dive into, is coming to the same place that Rich Mullins did in this song. Understanding that God has made a way to be near to us and for us to be near to him. That God has done the work, that God has removed everything that separates us from him. That God has made a way for us to boldly walk right into his presence. That God has torn down anything that would separate us from him. We're going to go ahead and look at some verses from Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, like I said, as a whole, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 39. But we're just going to start with verses 19 through 25. And I'll read them for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. When we started this book on Hebrews, Pastor Ben made the point that the book of Hebrews is most likely a single sermon sent in letter form, right? And and what that means is that like most sermons, the author has a very specific point that he is driving at. 
And it kind of feels like Hebrews is a very complicated book because there's like this huge Christological argument made about Jesus and all this stuff about the Old Testament. But all along the way, the singular point that the author is making is that Jesus is better. Hang on to Jesus. Don't run away. Right? The author has a very specific point that he's driving at. And, and that's part of what makes the book of Hebrews so hard to preach in small chunks is that the author is repeatedly making that same argument, that singular point that Jesus is better in one way or another. And that repetition is good because we probably need to hear that over and over and over anyway. But in the verses above that I just read, the writer of Hebrews is bringing to a culmination um, the whole argument that he's been driving at all along. He's bringing to culmination the argument that Jesus is better. And this sermon that we have here that is the book of Hebrews, right here in these verses, we are seeing the ultimate application of the point that Jesus is better. And much of the rest of the book of Hebrews is highlighting some of the application points that he's making right here. At the beginning of this, in verses 19 through 21, there's sort of a tie back to what he's been talking about all along. There's the argument that Jesus has made a better way for us to get to God, that Jesus has torn asunder anything that would separate us from God, that Jesus is the better means by which we can um, get to God. Jesus is the one that bridges the gap from us to God. Jesus is the one who's made a way, right? And because of that, in verses 22 through 24, he gives us three very specific points of application that all begin with the words, let us. In verse 22, let us draw near to God with the full assurance that Jesus has made a way. Verse 23, let us hold fast to the hope that Jesus offers because God is faithful. Right in the greater context of Hebrews, don't go back to the old ways. Cling to what you have now. Cling to Jesus. And then in verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. The way to do that, the means by which to do that, is by regularly being together as a family. Those are the overall application points for the sermon that is the book of Hebrews right here in this passage. Draw near to God because Jesus is better. Hold on to Jesus because Jesus is holding on to you. Encourage one another to live out your faith in light of what Jesus has done. It's the driving point of Hebrews right there, consolidated in those verses. But if we look at the next few verses, 26 through 39, I'll read them. And that, this is a bigger chunk, but I'll read through it. Starting in verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? And has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. And has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, 
you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. Inasmuch as verses 19 through 25 contain the primary application of the book of Hebrews, verses 26 through 39 contain one of the strongest worded warnings in Hebrews, if not all of Scripture. These are, um, there are words of warning sprinkled throughout the book of Hebrews. Uh, they're actually strategically placed. And this is the fourth time in the book of Hebrews that we've seen a warning like this. And there is really strong language that is used here. This warning is essentially broken into three parts. Verse 26 through 31 is the actual warning. It's um, much like what we see in Hebrews chapter 2 because it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. Right? In, in Hebrews chapter 2, the author makes the argument that the message of Jesus is greater than the message of the angels at the beginning of chapter 2. And here he's making the argument, giving the warning that the covenant of Jesus is better than the covenant of Moses. And if abandoning the Old Testament covenant of Moses led to really bad things, how much worse will it be for you to abandon the covenant of Jesus? How much worse will it be if you deem Christ's sacrifice to be insufficient? And that's where the language is really strong, like a really hard warning. But keep in mind that the reason for this warning is to motivate and to encourage these believers to not walk away from Jesus. Even though there might be comfort in the old ways of worship, the old ways can't do anything for you now because Jesus has come and fulfilled. Jesus is the better way. Jesus has put aside all of those Old Testament things and is the culmination and the fulfillment of those things. Verses 32 through 34, the warning changes a little bit and it's really the author gives a reminder to these believers that they have already suffered a really difficult time. That they've already stood firm in the midst of tremendous suffering and they didn't walk away when things got hard previously. Right? It's a reminder that because of Jesus they, start, they stood firm they can continue to do so. Finally, verses 35 through 39, they uh, serve to point towards a great reward that awaits the followers of Jesus, that one day these believers will be in the presence of Jesus when God redeems and restores all things. So hang in there, even though it's difficult now, because something better is coming. That's the overall structure of this section of verses in Hebrews chapter 10, right? Three application points and a very strong warning, an application to draw near to God and a severe warning about the outcome of 
profaning the sacrifice of Christ. But what I want to spend the rest of our time doing this morning is just sort of leaning into the primary points of application in in verses 22 through 24. Like I mentioned, there are three of them, and I just want to highlight a few things about each of those points of application. The first one, like I said, we see in chapter 10, verse 22, where... um, where we see the author say, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Do you know that there are seven different places in the book of Hebrews where the writer calls the audience that he's writing to to draw near to God? Seven different, seven different times. One writer has suggested that drawing near to God is actually the chief command of this book because of the fact that it appears over and over and over. Here are the ones that we've seen already prior to today. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In Hebrews seven nineteen, For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So that begs the question, if Jesus has torn the curtain and the walls that separate us from God, if Jesus has torn those things apart and provided a way for us to be reconciled with God, how is it that we draw near to God? Well, the obvious answer is, is through Jesus, right? Jesus has made the way. But the thing that I want to highlight about the truth that Jesus has made a way for us to draw near to God, something that we all need to come to an understanding about, I believe, is that we all need to grasp and cultivate the fact that God actually does want us to live in his presence. Because it is God who has done the work to make this happen. Despite the fact that we may feel separated from God, despite the fact that at times we may feel unworthy, despite the fact that we at times might feel less than, God has actually done the work to make us be able to live in his presence. Because of Jesus, God welcomes us into his presence. And it's not just that he welcomes us in, he actually wants us to be there. He actually wants to hear and he actually cares so much so that he did the work to make it happen. He's not holding us at arm's length. He's actively made a way for us to live with him, for us to meet him and dwell with him and know him. When you think about it, the story of God's redemptive work throughout Scripture is really a story about God removing the things that prevent us from getting to him. It's a story about God making a way. That's the heart of the gospel. You see this all throughout the New Testament. Another example is in 1 Peter 3.18, where it's written, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. But Luke chapter 15, in my opinion, is one of the greatest chapters in all of Scripture that demonstrate this truth. Luke 15 is an amazing 
chapter. Luke 15 starts with Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors. And then immediately after we're told that, we're told that these religious leaders show up and complain that Jesus is eating with the sinners. And in response to that, and in response to their grumbling, Jesus simply tells three stories. The first story is about a shepherd who finds his lost sheep and then rejoices when, his, when he's reunited with his lost sheep when they're reconciled. And then there's a story about a woman who loses a valuable coin and then rejoices and celebrates when the coin is found. The most famous one, there's a story about a father who loses a son We know it as the prodigal son. And then rejoices and celebrates when the son comes home. Like, I hope you're getting the picture here. That God actually wants you to be reconciled and united with him. God actually wants you to draw near to him. And God actually rejoices in us drawing near to him. He wants you to draw near to him so much that he actually made it happen. He made the way for it to happen. And then he rejoices when we do. Luke chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus says this at one point when he's telling the stories. Just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. God actually wants us to draw near. Despite the fact that we may feel separated, despite the fact that we may feel unworthy, God actually wants us to do it. And God has actually made a way for it to happen. Because of Jesus, we can live with the assurance that God desires this. We can have a heart that recognizes that God truly wants this, a heart full of assurance because of Jesus. The second point of application the writer of Hebrews makes is found in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. If you'll recall, the audience for this book has experienced severe persecution. We just read about it in verses 32 through 34. I'll read those verses again. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They've had a hard struggle with suffering. They were publicly afflicted in some way. They had their property confiscated. The struggles for these believers was real. So when the author tells them to hold fast, he's not talking about a way of life and faith that's dependent upon their circumstances or even their abilities. He's talking about a way of life that is dependent upon their Savior, Jesus, because Jesus is faithful. Keep doing what you're doing. Hang in there, not because you can do it, Not because you're great and strong and wise, but because Jesus is faithful and because Jesus is holding on to you. For these believers, this was about as practical as it could get. 
in the midst of what they were dealing with. Hold on to Jesus because he's the faithful one. The reality for us is that life is not always going to go our way. We will hurt. We will struggle. We will be depressed. We will be angry. We will have strained relationships. We may not have the resources we need all the time, and our circumstances will change. Will change. Part of what Hebrews is telling us is that Jesus is faithful. He will not change. So you and I can hang in there because Jesus is standing in the gap for you and me. There's nothing better than that because Jesus is holding on to us because he's faithful. The third and final point from Hebrews um, verses 24 through 25, 10, 24 through 25 is this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good work, good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In the struggle, in the duties, in the responsibilities, in the daily grind of life, it's very easy to forget how great a gift we've been given with this ability to draw near to God because of Jesus. It's very easy to turn our attention inwards. And the culture and the society in which we live only exacerbates our tendencies toward individualism and self-concern. But here, one of the application points of the fact that Jesus is better is to stir one another up to love and good deeds by not neglecting to meet together. And I don't think we can reduce this point of application down to simply saying, come to church. That's too simple. It's not actually, I think, what is being talked about here. I think we have to see it for what it is. It's a call to live intentionally intrusive lives with one another. Lives that encourage one another around the truth that Jesus is better. This is not a call to live in casual relationships with one another, but a call to live within the context of intrusive community. We probably all have expectations of what a church community should look like. And my point here is not to say whose expectations are correct and whose aren't. My point is to say this. It's often easy to forget that Jesus is better. Life will do that to us. It will redirect our hearts and minds to believe something else other than Jesus is better. And the antidote for our unhealthy hearts is often the gathering together of one another. It's us encouraging one another. It's us stirring one another up to love and good deeds. It's us reminding one another that Jesus is faithful and that Jesus is better. So what's our call this morning? What do we do with what we've heard? I would just encourage you to maybe think about these three questions. They may not all apply to you but I would encourage you to find yourself in them if they do and to purposely, purposefully deal with where you land. The first question is this. Do you truly believe that God wants you to be near 
to him and him to you. If you don't really believe that, why? What's in the way of that? And whatever it is that's stopping you from grasping that and believing that, is it really true? Or is the truth that Jesus loves us enough, that God loves us enough, that he's actually made a way for us to be close to him? Second, is there anyone or anything other than Jesus that you're holding on to, that you're counting on coming through for you, that you're counting on being faithful for you? If there's anywhere else that you're holding on to, where is that hope? Why is it there? If it's not Jesus, why not? Third, are you willing to live with one another in a way that encourages one another with the truth that Jesus is better? And if you're not, why not? There's three very simple points of application to the fact that Jesus is better. Let's draw near to God. Let's hold fast to Jesus because he's holding fast to us. Let's encourage one another in the truth that Jesus is better. We're going to enter into a time of response like we do every Sunday here at Redemption. This is an opportunity to, for us to respond um, collectively to what we've heard and, and how the Holy Spirit has been at work in our hearts and minds this morning. But this is what's going to happen in a moment. The band will come back up and lead us in a couple more songs. We have an opportunity to um, worship by giving during this time. Many of us may give in other ways, electronically, from our bank account, whatever it might be. Uh, but there is a giving ba basket in the back, and this is a time for us to remember that however we give, our giving is actually a form of worship, a response to what God has done for us. And we also have an opportunity to take communion. We take communion every Sunday at Redemption because it's a visible way for us to remember what Christ has done for us and a way for us to proclaim to one another that we actually believe it and that it's true. And so if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're a member of redemption or not, if you can remember what Christ has done and can proclaim that it's true, then I would invite you to come and take communion and to continue to worship and respond in that way. I'll pray for us, and we'll continue on in that time of response. God, thank you for the reminder from your word this morning that Jesus is better. God, thank you for the reminder from your word that you've called us, that you've made a way for us to boldly approach your throne of grace. God, thank you for the reminder that you're faithful. Thank you for the reminder that you've called us to live in a community where we tell one another that often, Jesus is better. God, I pray our hearts and minds would hear the truth that Jesus is better, a very real, a very personal, and a very deep way this morning. God, I pray that Jesus would be lifted high in our time together, and that we would be drawn to you because of Christ. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior. Thank you for making a way for us to get to you. God, thank you that Jesus is faithful and Jesus is better. We ask all this in his name. Amen.